Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. Welcome to the Full Slate Sunday Scaries podcast brought to you by BetOnline.ag and Blue Chew. I'm your co-host Cody Darwick, joined by my brother out in Chicago, Tyler Darwick. Tyler, we got our first guest from the mothership tonight. Is that true from ESPN? Chad Millman works for ESPN. Yeah, current employee. Well, I guess he's not even the current employee. He's just on one of their shows. Yeah, that makes him an employee. But yeah, it was awesome to talk. To Woody Page, a guy who we grew up watching on around the horn all the time, it was pretty surreal. Like the next day when I woke up, I was like, "Wow, we just talked to Woody Page for like an hour and a half yesterday." That was pretty cool. Yeah, Woody was extremely generous with his time, um, and I think even before the interview, he's been a part of our life for so long and around the horn. That's kind of like what you know of him as, but you kind of forget that he was on cold pizza. He was on the first iteration of first take. Um, he's covered sports forever. He's, he's been around for a while uh, growing up in Tennessee. And uh, he's, he's just like kind of, he's got all the stories, Tyler. Um, so it, it was, it was surreal. As soon as he joined the zoom and we, we were live with Woody page and he showed us his chalkboard. I was like, wow. Okay. We're, act- we're actually doing this. He showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't realize how long he's been in sports media. His career spans over decades. He's been to, you know, so many big events, the Olympics, 
multiple times, Super Bowls, you know, everything. So he's really seen it all. Did you see this un- unrelated note, but did you see this article posted of Post Sports? I'm not even sure what account that is. Said, oh, Washington Post. The pandemic has reminded us we didn't, we don't need more sports in our lives. We need less. What a what a loser take. Yeah, let's delete that account from the internet. What did you read the article? No. <laughs> Good. Um. Yeah, I mean, we even we had the NFL schedule release on Thursday night, which was a big deal. Just going through, figuring out, okay, what what win total over unders. There's Week One look ahead lines. There was a UFC fight yesterday. Uh, we had the Tiger, Phil, Brady Manning golf event. Um, I'm looking forward to that. That's in May. We have NASCAR next week. Not that that means anything to us, but it means something to someone. Um, so we're, I feel like we're getting, I don't know, a little bit of positive juju here. Tyler, are you going to bet on uh, Brady and Phil or uh, Tiger and Peyton? I don't know. I'll, I'll have to look up how, you know, Brady and Manning are at golf. The only exposure I have to Tom Brady golfing was in Entourage. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> drama broke his driver. Mm-hmm. He's pretty solid from what I remember. I'm sure him and Peyton are both really good. So, yeah, we're starting to get a little sprinkle. MLB is, like, releasing their proposal this week, I guess, mm-hmm. on how they want to continue the season. So, inching closer, I feel like the NBA is trending in the, a negative direction. Um, it just doesn't seem like the players maybe want to do it, um, and there might just not be a plan really in place, which sucks in complete season. But uh, other than that, I would say every other sport is kind of trending in the right direction. Yeah, so we'll see. Fingers crossed on that, but enjoy this interview with Woody Page, um, and go check out his new podcast, Unmutable. Okay, and Tyler and I are very excited to welcome on Around the Horn panelist, Woody Page. Woody, thanks for joining us tonight. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Oh, thank you. But I think this is going to be on, like, uh, Memorial Day or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, recording, we're recording Tuesday night. We're going to put this out uh, Sunday night, Monday yeah. morning. Someone um, asked me on social media today, said, do you know what day this is? And I said, Wednesday? <laughs> <laughs> You guys probably know better than I do. Uh, I don't like panelists. I'm, uh, all-times leader would be good. All-times leader would be good. I've, I've uh, won 600 times or so, about 615, and I've lost about 2,200 times. So it's sort of like Babe Ruth striking out 3,000 times in his life. So anyway, so I'm not just a general common garden variety panelist. Uh, <laughs> you, you are the all-time. I'm the worst or the best, whichever way you want to put it. We're going to look at it as the best. Uh, apologies for underselling you there in the intro, Woody, but we'll try and we'll try and recover from that. Um, but to start here, I wanted to ask you a question. So on your website, woodypage.com, it mentions you grew up in Tennessee, a block away from Aretha Franklin, and neighbors with Elvis Presley. Uh, so I have to ask you, did you ever think about um, – why you didn't end up going down the music route? <laughs> I had a band in high school, and we actually had a garage hit in Memphis, but uh, my dad said it might be a good idea for me to go to college because, he, A, he thought I couldn't find my butt with both hands, and, B, that I wasn't qualified to be a rock star 
or practically anything else in my life other than a journalist because uh, uh, it reminded me of uh, meeting Joe Namath and I had him on my podcast not long ago and Joe uh, majored at, at Alabama in uh, journalism because he thought it was the easiest course in the world so <laughs> I, I didn't go down that that line but it, it's interesting you brought that up that uh, my family was very poor we lived in government housing project and Memphis, Tennessee. My dad was from Tupelo, Mississippi, which is where the Presley family was from, and Elvis and his father, Vernon, who was in prison for bad checks at one, one time. And my family thought the uh, Presley family was uh, poor white trash from the South. <laughs> well, that's basically what we were also. So we lived in a government housing project uh, called Lauderdale Courts, and I used to go down about uh, two buildings and listen to this kid who was in high school and he played his guitar on his front porch because there was nowhere else that the, the, the apartments were so small, one bedroom. And you couldn't live there unless you made less than $30 a month. And my dad made about 22 a month. Uh, anyway, uh, another kid and I would go listen to this kid. And I said to my mother, she said, where do you go in the afternoons? I said, listen to this kid. He's got long, greasy hair and he plays guitar and he sings. And she said, Oh, that's that Elvis Presley. He thinks he's going to be a country star or something. <laughs> so I reminded my mother years later that she thought he was more worthless than my dad thought I was. But uh, I, I, I basically uh, grew up uh, around Elvis and uh, played uh, touch football against him in high school and go over to Graceland, which I think everybody's familiar with. And uh, later in life, uh, he would come to Colorado on vacation and We'd uh, have dinner some night. So I spent a lot of time around him. The, when we left Lauderdale Courts, we moved uh, to a very uh, poor neighborhood, and the Franklins lived uh, a block over, and their daughter, Aretha Franklin, was about my age, and she died not long ago. So there was a lot of – Memphis has a lot of uh, rock and roll stars, country stars, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis came out of there. So – uh, I, I don't know why I didn't get more involved, but it probably was because I wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I think you ended up making, you know, the right decision with journalism. So your sports media career has spanned over 50 years. What do you think a 22-year-old Woody Page graduating from the University of Tennessee today, what does his career path in sports media look like, you know, COVID-19 aside and all that? I probably get uh, 150 emails a month from young people saying, uh, you know, I want to be on ESPN, I want to be a columnist. Uh, and, and I speak at, at, at uh, commencements in high school and journalism classes at, in Boulder at the University of Colorado and other places. And I tell all the young people who are the 22-year-olds that when I was 22, I certainly couldn't envision that there would be an ESPN one day. I couldn't envision that I'd be in talk sports radio for 25 years at one point in my life. And I couldn't even envision being uh, a columnist that uh, was well-known outside the city of Memphis. So what I tell young people is that five years from now, you'll have a job that doesn't exist today. You guys are young. When you were, how old are you? In your 20s? Yeah, there? 24. Yeah. 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 Well, you would understand that when you were 15, there were no podcasts. <laughs> you couldn't dream of having your own podcast and being nationally known and and talking to 
actually to people a lot more important than me. I once asked uh, Dikembe Mutombo, famous uh, Denver Nuggets player, and went on to a great career in the NBA. Growing up in Africa, I said to him, kind of the same story you guys uh, just brought up. I said, so did you dream of playing in the NBA? He said, I couldn't dream of what was beyond the dirt road. And that was really true of of him growing up, that he played uh, soccer when he was a kid, seven-foot soccer player, and he never knew there was an NBA. He didn't know anything about basketball until he went to a city. Uh, They lived in a small country area. His family did. And same way with me, I could – I wouldn't dream of being on your podcast that there would be podcasts. So five years from now, what is the next step in quote journalism? What's the next step in uh, radio? Podcast didn't exist. Uh, as I said, ESPN was basically conceived in 1979. And so when I was uh, coming from Memphis to Denver, there was no ESPN. So for most people, even you, uh, the road beyond, beyond ESPN, you don't even remember how that mm-hmm. was. But I wrote for uh, Sport Magazine, which was a gigantic monthly magazine. I wrote a weekly column for Sporting News. Those were kind of my dreams. Sports Illustrated mm-hmm. and Sport Magazine's out of business. Sporting News barely exists, and Sports Illustrated basically got rid of everybody mm-hmm. because of the change in ownership. So. I would tell all young people, and, and I spoke at a, at a class uh, just before the coronavirus set in, and, and I told them the same thing I'm telling you, that who knows what's going to happen, and who knows what's going to happen at the end of all this? I mean, when is sports going to come back? Uh, when is sports going to come back like it is? ESPN came and built this studio in my office in my home, uh, and it's no telling, even though we are doing ESPN now, within Sports Center, and next week or so we will start back at our regular times, but we'll be doing uh, Around the Horn from uh, our homes, and secondly, uh, we don't know when we'll be actually talking about games. Uh, I'm sitting here today looking up the rosters for the Korean baseball teams. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's yeah. a couple of uh, Americans, a former Brewers pitcher pitches for uh, one of the teams, the Dinos. Mm-hmm. I'm going with the dinos. If you guys are doing any gambling on the Korean Baseball Association, pick the dinos. They are out in the hinterland somewhere, but they've got a catcher that is outstanding. Hit about 350 last year. They got a former Brewers pitcher who I've never heard of. Yeah, and they ha- they won the championship last year. So I would I would put my uh, space and my money on the dinos okay. or the dinos. They're dynamite. <laughs> that's that's good feedback. I think we do, Tyler, have to choose a team, the official Korean baseball league team of Full Slate. I saw, I read an article, there's the team, I think it's the Monkees. They're putting, like, cardboard fans in the stands. That's yeah. that's an early leader in the clubhouse for me, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. There are, I mean, finally, we are going to get some kind of live sports on TV, so that's, that is I, nice. I would take, if, if I were picking, I would take the Soul Men. There's okay. three teams in Seoul, Korea, South yeah. Korea. <laughs> so I think Smart. the chances are – it's kind of interesting. They don't play for the cities. They play for corporations like uh, Kia, the car. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sponsor team. It's like the Japanese league where you really are playing more for corporate sponsors. You know, that's probably going to happen here someday. We're seeing now you know, the, the NFL teams that 
Mm-hmm. They have patches on for training camp. The NBA teams all have yeah. patches on their uniforms now. That that's been common throughout Europe for decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely in soccer. Um, I do want to ask you? You mentioned ESPN getting you set up. Um, and has set you up basically for the at home around the horn that you guys are doing. And I think for Tyler and I growing up, the around the horn PTI hour, basically every day after school growing up, was kind of a staple of any sports fans afternoon, early evening, and to see you guys still doing it is pretty incredible. So I'd love to hear the backstory about how you ended up on Around the Horn um, and and just kind of your early thoughts about if, if you thought that it was going to be a long-running success or maybe a season. <laughs> That's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, and I'm laughing because uh, I think you'll probably get some laughter out of it too, that <laughs> Uh, I actually, and it ties in with what's going on today, I've done talk radio for a number of years and, in fact, did some analyst work on for local teams, local pro teams, and that's about all I could really uh, envision other than writing a, a column, which I had done since 1970 or so. Uh, and Partner Interruption came on the air in 2002, with uh, Tony and Mike, and it basically was a show based on what they did in their at the Washington Post in the sports department, where they would argue about sports every day. The guy said, well, that maybe belongs on TV. Well, I had actually started for ESPN before that. They had, do you remember, it's no longer in existence, but they had a, one of their stations was ESPN Classic. Mm-hmm. They showed, Sports Century. Yeah, and Sports Century was a show that uh, was put forward and they, uh, it's kind of a funny story. They called me one day and they said, uh, we're doing this show called Sports Century and it involves uh, 30 minute shows on athletes. And we'd like to come to Denver and talk to you about athletes and we'll pay you $1,000. And I went, wow, sure. You know, uh, <laughs> who do I have to have sex with? <laughs> And so I, I went to a uh, I went to a downtown. I'll try to make it short. But I went to a downtown uh, hotel. They had rented a ballroom, and they'd gone to antique shops. And for those people who ever saw a Sports Century, it looked like you were in an English manor uh, office uh, or, or some sort of dining area or something. And they bought a bunch of uh, old old uh, junk, and it was silver and gold. And they actually did the show in. Sepa tones, which means that it would be sort of a silver gray kind of background. And I sat in the middle like I'm talking to you, and there's a bunch of lights like the one that they've installed here uh, around me. And they said, okay, we're going to say the name of a, an athlete, and you just tell us what you think about him or her and give us a story. That sounded simple enough. So I'm sitting there in this room with about five guys, and – they said, Ted Williams. And I said, uh, when I was a little kid, I watched him a few times in the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> and I could see them kind of looking at each other and say, we got nothing here. So <laughs> they went through about 50 athletes. Uh, Dan Marino, John Elway, Joe Montana. They even asked me about Secretariat. And so we sort of finished up and I just gave him a story on anything that I might have covered in regard to that athlete 
And they said, okay. And I went, wow, that, that took three hours. That was a lot. They said, we're going to break for lunch, and we'll meet here again at 1 o'clock. And so I did like eight hours on maybe 150 athletes. And one of the stories I told was about uh, Michael Jordan, two stories I told, uh, one playing blackjack with him in Monte Carlo when the dream team was going to Barcelona, they practiced in Monte Carlo. And there were about seven journalists who'd heard of Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe and, and about five other guys. We were the only ones that went to Monte Carlo. And so I'm playing blackjack one night and, and Michael sits down at the table next to me and we're playing blackjack together. And the first hand, I get a blackjack. I get a jack and a king, and I'm sort of kind of excited. And Michael gets two eights, and he draws another card, and he gets another eight, so he spits the eights. He's now got three eights. He keeps bet. I'm betting 25 francs, which is the equivalent of $8. He's betting 25,000 francs, which is the, about $6,000. So he ends up with four or five eights, and he's got no chips and no money left, and he's still playing. And he says, we're sitting there, he says, Chuck. And I turned around, and there's Charles Barkley. He said, go to the cage and give me some more chips. <laughs> so Charles was kind of his uh, messenger boy at that time. And he comes back with more money, and Michael loses all the hands. And I get blackjack, so I get paid uh, one and a half times. And I'm kind of going, mm-hmm. and he goes, I wouldn't be celebrating if I were you. <laughs> and he started laughing, and he came back, and he won some money. But uh, in the most recent uh, Last Dance episode, they were talking about his gambling. Yes, I, I was with him in Birmingham. This is this will be coming up when he, when he left basketball and went to play baseball. I went to Birmingham. We had become friends and played golf, and, and I went to Birmingham to watch him play ba- baseball, and he and the manager were in the clubhouse playing Yahtzee for money. And he said, good, fresh meat. <laughs> <laughs> so we're playing So we're playing in Monte Carlo, Blackjack. We're playing in Birmingham. We're playing Yahtzee for like $100 or something like that. So anyway, I told that story, and I told the story the night he got sick against the Jazz. And I went outside before the game. That was the flu game where he wasn't yeah. supposed to play. And that was the last one, you know, the, the last answer he first to. And I went outside and was sitting on a picnic table a couple hours before the game just to get away from the crowds. And a car pulled up a cab, and Michael got out. And I said, Michael, Woody, I said, you going to play tonight? You're not, you're not supposed to play. He said, I'm going to try and get through with it. And I swear it's a true story. All of these stories are. I'm writing a book called I Wouldn't Believe This Shit Either. And <laughs> so he goes around the corner of the arena in Salt Lake and throws up. I can hear him over there throwing up. And he comes back and I said, I don't think you're, you're really ready to play. And he said, well, I'm going to try and go through it. He has one of the most incredible games of his career in Salt Lake that night. Uh, 38 points, like 18 rebounds, something. And, and wins a game. And it just turned out, in both cases, I was sitting at a blackjack table. And in the other case, I was sitting on a picnic table where the uh, the personnel that worked at the arena would go for their breaks. And I just went out there to get some fresh air. I told those two stories, and they ended up being a part of the Michael Jordan ESPN Classic. He was named, at the end of the year, the Athlete of the Century, Sports Century. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the people at ESPN said to me, uh, 
we'd like to use you more often. And so they called me and said, we want to do another sports century thing with you. And I said, well, you've got to pay me a little bit more. Now that I know that it's eight hours of work. <laughs> and so I did that. They called and they said, uh, PTI is a success. Uh, we want to start a companion show before it that would involve uh, you. And I said, really? I had never seen Pardon Interruption because I was working in the afternoons. And so I said, what kind of show is it? Uh, it's going to be like Hollywood Squares. That's that's before your time. But uh, So I'm thinking in my mind that I'm going to be the center square to block or something. And so we talked about it. I went to England for Wimbledon and the British Open. They called me there. They said, so you want to do the show? And I said, not really. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, think about it. And they, they called me back the next day and said, we really want you to do it. Uh, uh, you're going to have fun and you'll be a national star. And I said, I don't want to be, I don't care anything about being a national star. I'd rather be a rock star. So they put it on. You asked a funny question. Did I think it was going to be a long running success? I thought it was going to be on 13 weeks because those afternoon, except for pardon interruption, those shows in the afternoon were not doing well on ESPN, but we sort of hooked on to, I, I, I give all the credit to Michael and Tony because we sort of hooked on to their, uh, belt and I quit after about a month and a half because I thought I was terrible and the show was terrible and I, I, I told the vice president of ESPN uh, this is not for me and I thought it was going to be off the air before Christmas and I went to a Colorado Nebraska game and at halftime I just went down to wander around I tend to do that and a bunch of college kids came up to me and said, oh, we love you on television. And I realized that night that I wasn't supposed to be sports reporters. We were supposed to be having fun and that I was the drunken uncle or whatever. <laughs> Tim Kellishaw was quoted in the book about ESPN saying, when we went on the air, everybody thought I didn't belong on the show. And two weeks later, they realized I was the show, that they had to start having a personality. Because the feeling was that it was like a daily sports reporters, if you remember the yeah. show with Mitch yeah. Apple and, mm-hmm. and Ryan and others. And this show was supposed to have fun. It was supposed to be guys at a bar arguing. So that's basically what it was. And, and I sort of grabbed hold of that. But I thought it might be on for a year or two, and it's been on now. It's in its 18th year. And I thought they'd get rid of me a long time ago, but uh, uh, signed a new contract uh, at the end of last year. So I'll, I'll be around for a while longer. I think I'll probably die on the set. Almost, did. <laughs> almost, I almost died one day when I when I won. It was like my hundredth victory. You can actually see it on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. Uh, my assistant and I had uh, come up with an idea for a blackboard because we had nothing behind us. And I won the hundredth show, and he, as a joke, poured confetti all over me out of a Gatorade bottle. And as I was talking in the thirty seconds. It all went in my mouth. I started choking live on TV. And I was going, Ugh! and they thought I was kidding. And I was grabbing my throat like that. So if you don't believe that story, you could look, you go to YouTube and say, Woody almost dies on around the horn. And so we no more confetti after that. But I was doing the blackboard. It was just an idea I had. Uh, we were in New York City. I had moved to New York, and I was doing cold pizza and first take with uh, that guy that's – I've forgotten his name. 
but I think he's on Fox or something. And uh, I was doing a show called Dream Job. Do you remember that when you were a kid? That was yeah, like, a little uh, bit. His kid's version of uh, American Idol, where somebody yeah. wanted to get to be. So I was doing about six shows a day, and I came up with the idea for Blackboard. And the vice president of ESPN called me and said, "Get rid of the Blackboard." Now that's not ESPN. That's amateur hour. And I went, "Okay." And I said to my assistant, "I said, well, so much for that." A week later, the vice president called back and said, "Put the Blackboard." He used a famous four-letter word in there. But, and I said, so the viewers really like it. He said, the president of ESPN likes it. <laughs> That's why I've been around for 16, 17 years now. Yeah, Did I answer your question? I don't know. Somewhere in there was an answer. You, an, you answered, you answered uh, both parts of my question and, and more. And more. That was great. All well, you can always <laughs> mute me. I'm accustomed to getting muted. That is tr- that is true in the Zoom. I c- I could mute you. You're you're used to that though. So I gotta maybe we'll see <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. So that you said they didn't want you on the show originally, and then you became the show. So that you really showed them there. And then as you said, the show is supposed to be fun. Like you're arguing with your friends at a bar. Are there any moments on the show where you and some of the other panelists get like legitimately heated at each other, and there's actual animosity going on? No, not anymore, uh, and, and I, I won't mention his name, but there was a guy who used to be a, a Jay Marriott, and I had worked together. I was his boss in Denver. The reason why I said I wasn't going to mention his name because whenever I mention his name somewhere, he threatens to sue me. <laughs> but Marriott and I genuinely hated each other, and I called him, and I said this once, but I called him, Richard, and the same vice president called me one time and said, why do you call Marriott and Richard because he uh, is upset about it, and you do it all the time, and I said, well, I call him Richard because I can't call him Dick, and <laughs> he said, you can't call him Richard anymore, so I called him Jabroni, true story, Jabroni is the oil <coughs> in wrestling matches, and he thought it was a term, he's Italian, that it was uh, not a nice word in, in Italian, but the guy who is the meat in a wrestling match, the guy who plays the baby face or something, he's always called a jabroni. That's an important lesson. And that's, so that's what I called him, and I had to stop calling him that. We genuinely didn't get along, and so that, I think that came across here. But I, I don't know anybody that I've worked with, and, and its cast has changed considerably, as you know. And you were talking about you grew up watching it. I think what's interesting is that in the afternoons, high school students and college students watch it. And then when they go on and get jobs, they kind of move on to something else in life. And then along comes another group, a new generation that enjoys the show. So I I think we've changed uh, audiences on about every three to four years over the years. And so I remember what that was like when I was in college. My my friends and I at night would watch Johnny Carson's monologue. We'd take a break from studying, and we'd go get hot dogs or burgers or something and watch it. I watched Batman, the original Batman, on a weekly basis, and I kind of thought what we developed into is, you know, it's because I asked, who's going to watch the show? And they said, drunks and college students. And that's pretty much it. That's how <laughs> it, so, it like, Anyway, the, I'm sorry, Tyler, I, that I didn't really answer your question. They no, changed, no, you, uh, you know, you Bomani, did, yeah. came, Bomani Jones came along. 
Pablo Torre came along, uh, Jamel Hill. And so I think when they come, they have to kind of learn what the uh, mood is not the right word, but the tempo of the show. Because the guys have been around, Kevin Blackstone, Tim Callishaw, Bill Tyson, we sort of know how to play off each other and make fun of each other. But genuinely, uh, we want to win. It's not fixed. And B, we're having fun. So it's it, like you guys will get into the argument. Never. I doubt that when you leave, you hate each other. You're doing it within the framework of if two guys are sitting at a bar and they're arguing over who's a better player, Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, that at the end of the argument, they buy each other a beer. That's the case. We we genuinely, I, I love Jackie McMullen, and I lo- love the people that have come along, the Sarah Spains and Mina Kimes, who become big stars. And in the case of people like Israel uh, in Miami, uh, Pablo and Bomani went off to their own show, uh, Jamel and Michael Smith, uh, yep. anchors on a sports center, and so it's been exciting for me to watch that. And I think that uh, within you know the next couple of years, it'll be it'll always be on the landscape. It's sort of like the Tonight Show or you know, the Letterman. Letterman went away, but the show continues to exist. So I think that pardon interruption will go beyond Michael and Tony, and uh, pardon interruption will always be on the landscape of ESPN and uh, around the horn will always be and. Now there's some other shows, highly questionable. Uh, there, there's some basketball shows in the afternoon in the NFL today. Right. And they sort of found their footing in regard to how to do panelist shows. And so Fox is trying to copy what we're doing. And mm-hmm. uh, even if you watch CNN or Fox, they're doing a lot of the same stuff that we were doing, where they'll have three or four people on the show. They'll have... Uh, a schedule of what's coming up. Yep. They do a lot of the stuff, so it's even transcended sports and gone into politics. I, I do want to ask, so now that we're all kind of locked down during this quarantine, Tyler and I have each given ourselves a haircut at a point in time. It's We've been in this for this long. So I do want to ask, if, if you had to choose one around the horn participant uh, to give you a haircut, who are you choosing and why? Wow, that's funny because I thought you were going another way. If you watched it while we've been doing Around the Home, and people don't really get that. Yeah, yeah. I, I do it from right here. Tony Reale hasn't had a haircut, and his hair is like growing out of his, the roof of his uh, condo where he lives. And then it just becomes <laughs> like this. And I think I'm at the age where my hair doesn't really, I mean, it's not going away. You can look, there's no ball. But uh, I, I probably do need a haircut. If I had somebody I'd pick out to do it, I think uh, it would be Clinton Yates because I like his hair and I think he would uh, do an exceptional job because I don't trust Sarah. She doesn't like me. Mina, I've seen that she and her husband have done her hair. I'm not, I'm not particularly kind uh, about referring to that. So uh, you don't want to be sexist in regard to that. I sure, sure wouldn't. If you've watched some people like Kevin, and uh, Bill Plasky, they have no hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a reason. Yeah. And I mentioned a lot of people. I mean, we've become very diverse. We were a bunch of old white guys at the beginning. It was 
five white guys that basically rotated on the show, and then Jackie came, you know, McMullen came along, and Kevin Blackstone, but it was the no white man show, uh, like sports, basically. But you, you guys are aware of it. You know this in, pot, in the world of podcasts. Uh, Sarah Spain has a very popular podcast. Mina Kimes does. You guys mm-hmm. know that it's very diversified, and the show has become diversified. We've had people from the Philippines, uh, from Cuba, from uh, uh, all over the country, men, women, uh, gay panelists. Uh, uh, as I said, it's so diversified now, and I think that's better for sports. Yeah, I think it really speaks to how sports media has changed with social media, ESPN, everything being kind of 24-7, so many more people get into it. I wanted to ask you, you're an NFL Hall of Fame voter. You also vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame, so two-part question for the Baseball Hall of Fame. One, what's kind of your take on the steroid era guys? Cody and I are big San Francisco Giant fans, so we're holding out hope Barry Bonds will get in one day. I'm not sure. And also, secondly, were you the one person who didn't vote for Derek Jeter this year? Uh, no. <laughs> you think I'd admit it? <laughs> you'd, you'd be you know, public I look, enemy I know number I look one. stupid to you guys. You, you've never met me before, but do I look like I wouldn't vote for Derek Jeter is a nice guy. I mean, Woody, just, what, just admit it. It'd be great for our show if you did. Yeah. Uh, just to clarify, I was on the Hall of Fame for uh, 18, 20 years. I felt like it was time to give it up and let someone else do it that was younger. So I quit that. The Baseball Hall of Fame, you go on uh, you know, forever to the day you die. Uh, let me tell you what's interesting to me about the two hall, halls of fame. In baseball, your character can be part of one's character, meaning what they do off the field, Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, can be considered in your vote. It says that in our rules and regulations. In football, you can't consider, you're not supposed to consider anything that happened outside the lines. So it's two variances. And your response will be, well, football, so for people who may not know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is a representative from every city or from cities like St. Louis that have teams. And then there's six national guys, Michael Wilbon, for instance. Uh, and, and so I started on it in like 1990 and quit a few years ago. Quit's not the right word. I just thought it was time for somebody else. But it got old. And a lot of people were complaining about, as you know, about the Pope Football Hall of Fame and people who gave T.O., for instance. And I felt like new blood. Uh, so there's approximately 41 people that vote for the Pro Football Hall of Fame the day before the Super Bowl. The Baseball Hall of Fame is about 1,800 people uh, that vote. But what's happened with the Baseball Hall of Fame is your vote now basically becomes public. It never becomes public because it's a secret balloting in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But in baseball now, unless you make an effort to not have your ballot shown, uh, everybody can see it, which is the way it should be in my mind. And I think both Halls of Fame should change. I think the Pro Football Hall of Fame should have more Hall of Famers on it and fewer members of the press. And maybe some fans. Why not have some fans? Make it a group of like 100 people to choose and have fans in there, not a fan vote like the All-Star game, but 
you know, guys that have, uh, there have been several people who've gone to every Super Bowl. Well, why not put them on the Hall of Fame? Or you guys, you know, podcast. It's we should be on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank why, you. Not, why not five people that do podcasts? Why not two or three people that do blogs? Uh, it doesn't have to be newspaper reporters. Newspapers are going out of business. Or broadcasters. So, anyway, I think that should be expanded. I think the Baseball Hall of Fame probably should be limited <laughs> because a lot of people who vote for it retired 25 years ago, but you are a permanent member. So in regard specifically to your question about Bear Dodds, because I have friends in Florida and I go visit them. There's one guy from San Francisco and he wants to fight me every time I come into the golf clubhouse about Bonds. And, and I said, have you ever noticed who I vote for? I vote for the steroid people now. I didn't initially. But the more I thought about it, I felt like I don't adhere to the Baseball Hall of Fame rules, which characters involved. That I think what keeps Barry out, if he had, if he had rolled over on himself and said, yeah, I did it, I apologize. You know, look at people like Giambi, who came out and said, no, I made a mistake and I shouldn't have done it. He's not going to be in the Hall of Fame, but I think if Barry had been a little bit more uh, humble. Uh, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. He blogged in the Hall of Fame on his achievements before he started doing steroids. But mm-hmm. players, the uh, you know, people put him in the Hall of Fame. I, I'm, I'm for that. I don't care. Look, it should be based on your baseball achievements with, within the lines, I think. And yeah. But if you're going to put Pete Rose in, put Sheila Joe Jackson in. He didn't know what he was doing. When, when the World Series was thrown, Stuart Joe Jackson was not a very smart guy, and he just went along with the crowd. And he hit like 430 in the World Series. So you know he wasn't talking to him. So I would change baseball and uh, think about the players that got in the Hall of Fame who never played against African Americans. Think about the players that never played against Latinos, who were a major part of Major League Baseball, more than 30% last time I looked. Uh, think about the the spitball era. Think about there there have been so many different eras of baseball, the dead ball era. So why pick and choose? So yes, I would put the steroid guys I call them that in. And to give you an example of the National Football League, if O.J. Simpson hadn't gotten in and he came up on the senior committee, you have to vote for him. Because football is based on what you get on the football field, not that you killed somebody. So, now, people can question that, and I'm I'm open to it. It's like the three of us were sitting in a bar having this discussion. Yeah, everybody's opinion is allowable. You know, whether I'm right or wrong, I don't know. I've got an opinion, and that's my opinion. So I changed my mind two or three years ago. Well, yeah, I think when it comes to baseball, you have so many of the players that were in some way, shape, or form to varying degrees involved in the steroid era, like someone like Sammy Sosa, per se, right, where he wasn't a Hall of Famer before he took him, and then he was. Like, what do you do with someone like that? I think, uh, my opinion, let these guys in, and if you want to mark their plaque in the Hall of Fame or whatever it is, just add a sentence, something that they were... Plaques, uh, people have said to me, because uh, people know what my ballot is. Let's say, yeah. well, put them in another wing, build another wing and say, these are the creeps. <laughs> the creep yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, let's build another wing for people who 
never played against African Americans or played in the dead ball era or uh, played in World War II. Most of the star players went off to participate in World War participate is not the right word, fight in World War II. Oh, yeah. uh, do you, do, there was a one-handed uh, outfielder for the St. Louis Browns who played in the World Series. Now, he couldn't have played in any other year, but there were so few Major League Baseball players that do you include players after World War II because they just went out signing players who, who were in the Navy or the Army? And, uh, what about uh, the teams that cheated? I mean, what, how are we going to look back on the Houston Astros? Do you not put them in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. because they cheated? Yeah, talk about a team that's gotten off uh, off the hook here with this whole coronavirus thing. No fans in the stadium. They had the, a couple of spring training games, and they got absolutely destroyed. And yeah. now, now uh, yeah, they're making me laugh because I I really hadn't considered that the Astros say they start July fourth, and the Astros came out on the field in New York. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and nobody throws at them because nobody cares about throwing at them anymore. I mean, yeah. we're, we're going to see so many changes. People have asked me about uh, the NFL and whether I think there should be fans there. Uh, Peter King wrote earlier this week that one of the proposals is that anybody over 70 couldn't go to an NFL game if they returned this year. And I went, hello, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Hello, I've been covering the NFL for 51 years. I'm not going to be able to go to the game. I'm going to have to have a fake ID. Yeah, yeah you're kind of. To... Am I going to get carded at the Super Bowl, my 44th Super Bowl? I can't get in because I'm 73 years old. Uh, I don't like that idea. Yeah, it's it's the reverse fake ID. How do you think media access for reporters will change after this is all done? We're so used to seeing and in the MJ documentary, especially. Uh, reporters just piling into a locker room after a game, crowding guys. Do you see that changing after this is all done and that access might be restricted a little bit? Guys, I think that uh, the whole world is going to change as a result of this. I I think not to go too far from where you were saying, but uh, I never felt like, and, and I saw someone else that has been around like I have the other day, I never thought it was really the right idea for us to go in locker rooms anyway. I know this big around baseball. Baseball players despise media people because they're in the clubhouse before the game. And the media people are standing around watching them scratch their balls. I mean, (laughs) truthfully, I mean, to me, it's embarrassing. I try not to ever do it. After the game, I think there should be a cooling off period. That tends to happen in the NFL. But I think that all should change. I'm very comfortable going to the – I've been to the Masters 32 times. They bring in the top players into the media room. Uh, During the NBA playoffs now, when Michael Jordan won, you could see, and I was part of it, I always remember every time he won a championship, he clutched the, the championship trophy. And he'd sit down in the corner, and I he repeated that every year. One year his father died, and he was dedicating it to his father. But he, he always clutched it, like, in his arms like this, and would sit down in the corner. I don't need to be in there. Do I really need to be in there when guys are throwing champagne all over themselves? You see the media people, you know this, 
they're now and they're covered up with glasses and everything because they're going to get sprayed. Well, why are you in there? Why don't you wait? Let them celebrate. So uh, that may not be a popular opinion in, in the world sports. People say to me, but they let guys that do podcasts and blogs and stuff like that. They let them down in the press box. And my response is, so <laughs> I'm all for you. <laughs> why not? I mean, we, we we go back to what we originally talked about. What was important, newspapers are not important anymore. If anything, it's local state, local news, local news and sports. You used to watch that for scores when you were kids. Nobody, everybody knows the score before that. So it, it's such an expansion of what is called journalism or uh, sports coverage that I think that leagues and other media people like that are old like me have got to recognize that there's a new way. And it's basically more important. Podcasts are more important. I'm not sitting here trying to stroke you guys, but podcasts are more important than newspaper stories. And even though I don't like the fanboy lapdog sites a lot because the guys can't like, but every team now has its own website. Mm-hmm. They got reporters working for them. It's, a, it's an entirely new world. Is that going to change? I hope it does. I, I think that's an inner sanctum for the players. I'll give you an example. This is my only political statement. This is not showing any kind of bias toward anybody. I've always felt like, can you imagine that the President of the United States, any president, giving a press conference and then goes back into the Oval Office and is taking a shower and six reporters follow him in and while he's in the shower – they're asking me more questions. Well, that's what I've my life is, yeah. that I'm sitting there, one man is naked, the other man has a complete set of clothes on, and you're talking to each other. That's yeah. not comfortable for anybody, I don't think. So. It's quite the visual. Uh, so I hope it does change. I, yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of change. We're going to see changes. Miami Dolphins have a blueprint for if their fans are able to come back. Mm-hmm. I personally think that if you had, at a baseball game, 500 people, but that would be a good start to come back with, you know, put everybody like in one section. So there'd be a feeling of some fans there. Uh, I see the survey. So most people, uh, majority of people feel like uh, they'll be fine if uh, sports teams come back and there are no fans in there. Really. Yeah. You could, create it. you could create the sounds, the noises, mm-hmm. and have the uh, mannequins sitting there behind the, in Jack Nicholson's spot. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, sells hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open, 24 hours a day, and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. 
Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. I like covering Tim Tebow during the season. He took over as a starter and led the Broncos to the playoffs. He won the game versus Steelers. He was out shortly thereafter with Peyton Manning. And, you know, you've covered the Broncos with Elway throughout his career, Peyton Manning uh, with the Broncos. What was it like that Tebow season? Because there was a ton of press around it. That, that was that's an incredible question because uh, people kind of – that's kind of faded, mm-hmm. especially now that he's been cut from baseball. I wrote a column uh, like a year ago saying, okay, now he's going to join the PGA Golf Tour. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go on Bachelor. He's going to try and play in Wimbledon. <laughs> Can't be on The Bachelor. He got married. I I really – I've been doing this for a half century. I really enjoyed my time around uh, Tim, and we got to be friends. I would talk to him about religion a lot. We had two different opinions about uh, religion, and he'd give me – Bible verses to read, and I think he enjoyed being around me because I was he'd watched around the horn growing up, so he, he knew who I was. That was I I was supportive of him because Kyle Orton was not any good. He played for the Chicago Bears and they got rid of him. He never got them in the playoffs. He wasn't any good when he got here. And Brady Quinn, they got him. He couldn't play dead in the Western, so he had two guys. Why not try Tebow? And so they put him in that one sort of miraculous season, and he won game after game. And you'd watch it like the Jets when they beat the Jets on Monday night, and you go, how did this happen? How did this possibly happen? I mean, they're, his first game in Miami, they're down 14 to nothing, and they're doing nothing. He's completed like three passes, and he leads them back to 16-14 victory. That was an amazing year. And I was just stunned whenever – I'd talk to him, and he would go off with me after having the media session, and we'd talk about his favorite books and um, why it why it was all happening. And he basically said it was all happening because he was set up to do this in life when he was born to a missionary in the Philippines, and he was going to be, you know, he was going to be Tebo. I think someday he'll be a very successful politician. He's going to be governor of Florida, or he's going to be a senator from someplace. And Bill Bradley kind of like character after his sports career, although he's a very polarizing figure, and that's because a lot of people think he wears his religion you know, on his shoulder. But I found it fascinating. It was one of the most amazing stories. Someone asked me recently, do you like covering a bad team or a good team? It's a lot easier to cover a bad team because we all like to crit- you criticize. You're in Chicago, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah, Tyler's in Chicago. Well, two years ago, the Bears were good. Last year, they were awful. It was a lot easier to criticize the Bears than it was to praise them two years ago, even though they had the best defense in the league. I think that was the most fascinating season to cover, and I think people who weren't really interested in the Broncos were watching because they just wanted to see Debo-ing. They wanted to see what he would do. That You know, he'd get knocked out of bounds by – 
Brian Erlacher, and he would go over and say to Brian, great tackle, uh, I'll see you again soon. I mean, he played the game unlike anybody else ever had, really. I mean, it was like, you know, you had Billy Graham playing the National Football League because he'd go over and say, hey, that was really a good job you did. And I'd say, why do you say that? He said, it's a game, you know, we're playing. And it was it was fascinating. I, I, I can't remember covering any team in Denver that comes close to that. And they had back-to-back Super Bowls. And they had Manning in two Super Bowls when he was here. And that was, but Tebow, that was, that, was, uh, that was great fun for everybody in the country to watch that. Oh, piggybacking on what you just said there about that being your favorite uh, Denver um, team you covered. No, you... no, no, not my favorite team, the most fascinating team. Fascinating. Yeah, okay. Okay. My Fat. favorite team, uh, I had to stop being a fan in 1969, so I'm not. Mm-hmm. In terms of all the different events you've covered, you've mentioned. Uh, basically being there for the dream team. You've mentioned Wimbledon. You mentioned Masters, all the teams in Denver you've covered over the years. Is there any one event that's kind of stood out um, that's your favorite of all time? The Olympics, and and there's a reason behind that. Uh, most of the sports that I cover at the Olympics, I don't even watch for four years. And my first Olympics uh, in the 80s, I think, the men's gymnastics team won the gold medal. I didn't even know how you scored. Who knows how to score gymnastics? Could you? Can you tell me? You know, there's the horse. How do you get to have like a good score on the horse? Don't fall. Don't fall off. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy covering sports that I normally swimming. Yeah. Who watches swimming? Uh, the Dream Team. That was an incredible experience for everybody. I mean, that changed the whole direction. The NBA suddenly uh, went from here is a sport to here. But what was, I'll tell you a story I've never told. After they beat um, Croatia, I walked out of the gym and I had to walk about five or six blocks to a, a press bus. I would walk past a basketball court in Barcelona in the suburbs. And there were kids on the basketball court. I stopped and I watched them and I actually wrote about them. I thought that basketball was going to change, that Europeans were going to say, Wow. I mean, there had been some players from Europe, but it wasn't an influx. That changed because think about when Nowitzki was probably six years old then, that when he became 18 and 19, think of the guys we're seeing in the NBA that were three or four years old that saw the dream team. We have seen the expansion of basketball all over the world, but we've seen the talent of basketball players increase. That was a moment in my life where I said, this is going. I mean, I really actually, one of the few times correctly predicted, I said, this is gonna, these kids are going to want to grow up and play in the NBA. That's exactly what happened. So the Olympics, Norway, Great experience watching the Northern Lights. Uh, Australia for the Olympics when an Aboriginal woman won an event down there. And to think that she couldn't even have uh, appeared in the Olympics before, that was that was like my moment for Jesse Owens, if you will, uh, to see what was going on there. 
at the Olympics because of the personalities, the people, uh, the locations. That's always been. I, I loved uh, for 20 years would go to Wimbledon and the British Open, and that would be my summer, and, I, and I'd go in between the Paris and someplace. And I just loved uh, watching the British people and the way they treat their sports. In terms of here, college football, uh, that's that's my favorite. I just think that uh, despite what we're going through right now, I'm not talking about the, the virus. I'm talking about branding of players and the payment and everything, and I'm all for that. But I saw a game once where Miami played Nebraska, and Nebraska scored on the last play of the game, and it was tied. Or if they kicked the extra point, it would be tied playing the Hurricanes. And uh, Tom Osmond went for two to win the game, and they were undefeated. They still would be undefeated. Miami was had one loss. Nebraska wins with a tie, wins the national championship, but Osborne had the guts to actually go for, for two to win the game, and they didn't make it. Miami won the championship that year. You'd never see that in the NFL. I would never see that in the NFL. You would take the tie and go into overtime. But Nebraska, to me, earned more accolades in defeat than they did in the victories they had for the national championship. I think college football is still the essence of the game. NFL is a lot better. But the NFL is a business, and we know that. College football still has an essence that doesn't exist because college basketball has gone away. The players go to the NBA. That's going to get worse now that there's a G League spot for you or you go to Europe. College basketball is going to – we're talking about things that are going to change after all this. I mean, look at all the guys that are not going to go to college because they don't know what's going to happen when college basketball is coming back. So it's going to have a lot of effect. I don't think guys are going to go play college baseball after this is over because why not? You better. We don't know what's going to happen in our future of if this comes back. And I'm not sitting here being somebody that can talk about medical issues, but what if it does have a second or third wave? If you're an athlete, you better think about your own future rather than saying, you know, I want to go to college for a year or go play college baseball. I mean, I, I think it's going to have an effect from the top of all professional sports to the bottom of it. You guys do a show that's that's oriented toward gambling. This is going to change gambling. How in the world are you going to bet on the NFL games? I mean, we don't know who's going to take advantage from this. Which teams, I mean, if you know, the Denver Broncos and you got Drew Locke who played five games. How good are you going to be next year? Is Tom Brady going to be good in the camp? I just think it's going to have an effect on the lines. It's going to have an effect. I mean, one of my best best buddies runs the Westgate Sportsbook. I'm sure you've heard of him, Jay Cornegate. Mm-hmm. I've been in touch with him. They don't know what's going to happen. They, they have no clue. Those places are shut down. The chains on the doors of the Casinos in Las Vegas. Denver started, Colorado starting uh, uh, sports gambling this week. Yeah. Who's betting? On what? People tennis. Korean baseball. Yeah. And they were talking about there was going to be such an increase in revenues as a result of sports gambling. I mean, really? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. You guys are around it every day. I'd like to ask you a question. I know you 
need to move on from there. <laughs> no. uh, you can cut most of this out anyway. I know I know about editing the podcast. Uh, and I got one that, that started next week, Unmutable. So we hope everybody watches that. My partners would be upset if I didn't. I didn't say yeah. DraftKings is involved with us. So yeah. I, I know about it. Uh, and, and I had a podcast before. So I just would ask you guys, though, uh, how is it affecting your show in regard to you can't really talk about gambling except how it may be when it comes back? And how is it going to affect once it, there is some normalcy? How do you think that's going to affect people's betting habits? You got that more or less? Or, I mean, Think about the economy in this country. People have a lot of diversion dollars, what I call them. You know, you go to movies, you go to concerts, you go to sports events. Are people going to have that money when this all comes back? They like to bet. They like to go to Vegas. They like to. Now with uh, with sports gambling and you tell me, 17 states? Is that about right? Yeah, it's it's legal. It's legal in like 21 or 22, but it's live and something around there. But are people going to use their diversionary dollars for gambling on games, or maybe they'll use more because they think, God, it's back. I better, I better try and get my money, you know, as fast as I can. I don't know. I'm asking you guys. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think when, you know, if baseball comes back, like you said, July 4th, the initial wave, everyone will be jumping on the gambling because people are just so starved for anything. And I think that'll continue. I think you brought up a good point. How do we handicap NFL games, for example, if there's no fans in the stadiums? And a team like Tampa Bay with Brady, as you mentioned, you know, they have, they need that training camp. They need to mesh as a team, and they might not have that opportunity and you look at a team like, you know, look at the Super Bowl, the 49ers and the Chiefs, they mostly brought back the same guys. Those teams, are, I think, are going to have a huge advantage just because they have that chemistry. But a lot of these teams that are putting together a lot of new pieces, they're probably going to struggle. So I think that's something you'll probably have to play it, put into perspective if you're going to gamble on these games. And as far as home field advantage, I mean, look at teams like Seattle, Minnesota, who have had such great home fields. You remove that aspect. Are they going to be worse or you know it's it's yeah. so hard to tell because there's no uh, precedent behind it well, I, I will give you one example of what you're talking about to agree with you <coughs> they just the NFL when we're doing this it's just canceled the international games okay so the Denver Broncos to take the team that's down the street from me right out the window uh, we're going to play Atlanta in London in one of those games so if I were looking in a distance three months ago, I would have said, oh, the Broncos, Atlanta's not very good. They have a chance to win that game. So you would put that as a possible win column game. Well, now the game's been moved to Atlanta. That changes the line. You know that. That changes the approach to the game. I would have to put it, you think, I mean, I'm guessing like anybody does, Atlanta's going to be better this year, would be my guess. They're going to be somewhat better. Are they going to be great? No. But I don't. I think a game for Denver that was going to be in London was a very winnable game. I don't think a game in Atlanta is going to be as winnable. Now, here's the other side of it. You were talking about that, Tyler. If there's nobody in the stadium, does that remove the home field advantage that you're talking about? So now, if I'm a, a betting guy, and I would say, okay, I'm going to take the Broncos and the points in London. If I'm doing this in January, two months ago or three months ago, I'm going to take the Broncos and the points in that game. 
okay, now it's not going to be played there. It's going to be played in Atlanta. Well, I'm going to take Atlanta and give the points. Let's say it's six, five, something like that. Well, if there's nobody in the stands, now I've got, you know, I've got a pick em game, I think. Yeah. The the first couple of weeks are going to be the first couple of weeks are going to be so interesting whether it's uh, stadiums with no fans or even neutral site games like if they play everything uh, in Arizona or Vegas or I know the NBA's throughout the idea of Disney potentially and uh, Florida like how do you how do you try and handicap these games something we'll have to see and in terms of uh, the effect on sports gambling I think. I think sports gambling, the NFL draft had like record uh, betting numbers. When things come back, um, the economy as a whole is something that will definitely come into effect and I think will um, tamper some people's uh, gambling. But when it comes to more and more states kind of rolling out the legal wagering, like is available now in Colorado, like you said, um, I think that all those sports books are going to be trying to get new users and having promos and creative prop bets. So people that maybe historically had played DFS or fantasy and maybe didn't have a bookie or uh, weren't using someone like bet online or sponsor. They now they're like, Oh cool. Yeah. I'll download DraftKings. I'll download BetMGM, whatever it may be. Um, so I think, I think it'll be, I think there'll be a bit of a boom this fall. Um, coming with just everything being back, people being cooped up for a couple months. That's that's my prediction. But uh, who's who's to say? I think the NFL it really is going to be interesting because... Well, I think it's only fair yeah. because you guys, uh, as you said, you're oriented towards uh, talking about sports uh, wagering, but you're going through a bus period. That you're probably more successful than you are, but... You don't have much to talk about, like on around the horn. What do I got to talk about? Korean baseball? I mean, yeah. here I am looking at the roster thing. What am it. I doing? <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> trying to figure out a catcher last year. They had 340. He's get, he got a $10 million contract this year. And I went, I'm actually doing this? This is what I'm doing with my life? And I'm looking at a former Brewers pitcher that wasn't any good in the major leagues, but yet he could be the star pitcher for <laughs> the Dinos, who I've never heard of, Dinos, I've never heard of in my life. <laughs> Now I'm paying attention to them. I probably will watch the game. You probably will too. It's on ESPN. We don't, I don't even know when the games are being played because they're like 4 a.m. when they're playing yeah. here and they're playing at night over there. But if you're going through a bus period now, and I'm going through a bus period and not having any, it's only right that we go through a boom, isn't it? At some point at the end of all this, that there's a carrot for us that we'll be able to talk about sports gambling. We'll be able to talk about Sports results. We'll be able to talk about something of the marbles in the basement and baseball in a place where we don't even know where they play. You know, I, I found out. I, you probably guys know this. This waste of your time. But they play 144 games. I, I found that out. They play every team the same amount of games. They don't have like divisions. They just play everybody the same mm-hmm. amount of games. So, more information than you had and wanted to know. Um, Woody, you've been incredibly generous with your time. Um, this has been great. Where can everyone follow you and your new podcast? Um, obviously, besides I, I around the horn. I don't. I have enough people following me. Okay, cool. <laughs> you can, but the one thing I've done, and if you guys do follow me or whoever follows me, you'll know that the only thing that I can do during this is try to just bring some humor to people, and so. 
I kind of do that. I mean, two weeks ago, I said, okay, if you want uh, me to follow you, I'll follow everybody that asked over the weekend. And I did sit. Nobody's asked me about it. I did sit there for like, I don't know, 22 hours, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There's like 8,000 people. And I responded to all of them. And I had a little funny kind of comment for each one of them. And so I feel like the only thing that I can really do during this period of time is, is give people a moment, a moment of lightness or something. We can talk, we can talk here because we didn't talk about one game other than the big game in Korea. And now you've got to figure out the team you're going to pull for. So tonight, the one we'll do thing you're talking to me is you're going to go find out about those players and they all have three names. <laughs> we, we have to adjust our uh, sleep schedules to watch the games on ESPN moving forward. It's been, it's sure. been a joy to talk to you guys. It's a joy. No offense. It's a joy to talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can see nobody's coming in this room and <laughs> disturbing us. No, it's been fun. I, I would hope at some point that you guys will let me back out and we can talk about you know, some real happening in sports. Absolutely. We'd uh, we'd love to have you back on and everyone go check out Woody's new podcast. Oh sure. Following me, yeah, the podcast called Unmutable, Unmutable. the Woody Page Podcast. And we got some fun things like uh, a segment called I Wouldn't Believe the Shit Eater. It's kinda like the Elvis the uh, Rita Franklin stuff. We've got we're gonna have a segment called and that's why you guys have to come on. We're gonna have a, a short interview but then the idea is to do sort of like around the horn where it's kicked Woody's ass, and so if you actually could beat me, according to two judges, if you beat me in the segment, you get something. You get prizes, and there's a charitable do- donation that will be made by DraftKings if you beat me that goes to your charity. So we're going to do some different kind of stuff. Not probably even better, but anyway, go some different directions. But it's been fun to talk to you guys. Skip, you were talking about people hating each other. I should have brought that up, but I don't ever mention his name. <clears throat> Skip was the biggest asshole in the history of the world. And I worked with Jay Mariotti, Stephen A. Smith, and, and Skip Bayless. And I thought, nobody ever else has ever done that in life. And I want somebody to put that on my tombstone, that I had to work with three of the mean people in the world. And, and Skip and I got into a physical fight on live TV one morning. On the SBN, I don't yeah. remember that. Over, over what? And, and nobody would, well, that's what was funny about it. Nobody would pull us apart because they thought it was great live TV. <laughs> <laughs> we were in a studio at, just down the street from, from the Empire State Building in New York City. Mm. And we had a door at the end of the studio because this is where they used to do Phil Donahue's show out of Chicago. In Chicago. He went to New York and there was a door you could go out, and we were over at the door going out onto the street. Uh, we would have conference meetings. I'll make this quick. Uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning, because the show came on at like 8 o'clock in the morning. It was like the Today Show. We were on for live for two hours, and then they repeated it. So we were on four hours every day, and we also did a show called First Take, which is now the show, and uh, I did Around the Horn. So I, I wasn't in a particularly good mood all the time because I never got any sleep trying to watch sports events. But we have, I'd get picked up at 3 o'clock in the morning and at 4 o'clock we'd have a, a conference of what we were going to talk about that day. And uh, Jay 
who was Crawford, who was the host, said, uh, well, here's an interesting story we're going to end with today. So Scott Dodges said that uh, four out of ten uh, male golfers would give up sex for a year if they improved their golf game by four strokes. Uh, so Woody, would you give up the golf game for a year if it improved your would you give up golf for no, would you give up sex for a year if it improved your golf game by four strokes? And I said, Hell it's been a lot of years I've given up sex. <laughs> <laughs> and so they said to, to keep in mind there's like eight people in the rooms, nine or ten producers and directors and stuff like that. I said, Skip, uh, would you give up sex for a year if it improved your golf game? I've had more sex than everybody in the room goodbye. <laughs> Jay Thompson said, no, no, that's not the question. <laughs> I've had sex more than all of you. And he said, well, don't say that on the air. So we do the show, and Jay says, oh, we got this funny, funny finishing story question for you guys. So Woody, and he goes through the thing, and I go through the thing, oh, yeah, sure. Then I'll get up for three years if I can put about six months. How about you, Skip? And Skip's reply, would you give up sex for a year and improve the He said, I've had 15 times as much sex as Woody. And I came out of the chair. <laughs> so we were in a kind of a semicircle. <laughs> so I came in front of it and came over there and grabbed him by the throat. <laughs> And he is, I'll say this about it, he worked out every day, and I'm sure he yeah. still does. He's always in great shape. And he grabbed me, and I knew this is not going to end well, <laughs> but I'm hoping somebody pulls us apart. <laughs> and nobody is, because everybody's going, stay back, stay back. You know, like in a, maybe a <laughs> match. <laughs> and so we're now moving over here. They're moving the boom camera that's above us over. To pick up everything, the boom microphone. The cameras are now, you know, the, the, the directors are screaming to them, yeah, get them, get them. And we're over by the door, and the door's opening. And I know that any moment he's going to just slug the shit out of me. And we're kind of wrestling, and we're down. And uh, finally, Jay Crawford said, well, we're going to call it a tie of the go and Skip came up, grabbing me, and he said, you're, you're a fucking asshole. So that's the way I should have answered your question, but you were talking about around the horn. I, I would have given you that, because I gave some magazine did a piece on men's health, did a piece on Skip, and I told him that story. This was about two years ago. Yeah. I, said, you know, I made Skip. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.